Hello everyone and welcome to episode 579 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. What have you been up to this week? I have been, believe it or not, experimenting with my new air fryer. Now, let me be clear that this is not sponsored in any way, but the thing is that so many people kept telling me to get an air fryer and they were almost evangelical about it. So anyway, I got a small cheap one. And now I have to say that I have drunk the Kool-Aid. I have an air fryer. Uh, I love my air fryer, even though I haven't had it for very long. I've made quite a few fantastic things in the air fryer and now I've even subscribed to a YouTube channel that has lots of air fryer recipes. For anyone who's interested, it's called Pro Home Cooks and the guy has a whole section, a whole playlist just for his air fryer videos. Anyway, but enough about air fryers. (laughs) It's my this week's obsession for me. I do also want to give a big shout out to Penelope Janu, whose latest novel was released this week. It's called Sunshine Through the Rain. And Penny has been on the podcast a couple of times before. And she's just awesome. Many years ago, I love her story. Many years ago, when Penny was a lawyer, she did a course in creative writing at the Australian Writers' Centre, thanks to a recommendation from her daughter, Tamsin. Tamsin Janu, who's also a fantastic author now. And that started Penny down her path of becoming an author. She now releases, oh, she's now released, she's about 10 books, and they're all fabulous and very popular. I love to see alumni of the Australian Writers' Centre kick so many goals and Penny has since become such an active part of the author community in Australia and recently also joined the committee of the Northern Beaches Readers Festivals which is one of my favourite festivals. Anyhow congratulations Penny on Sunshine Through the Rain. You guys should check it out. I also want to let you know about this fantastic event we've got on Thursday, the 14th of December. Now, this idea came to me because every second book I was reading uh, has dual timelines or multiple timelines. Similarly, almost every show, television show that I was watching has dual timelines um, or multiple timelines. So this is something that I am seeing so much of these days and it is important to be able to get it right. So we have another focus on webinar and this time it's on dual timelines. And even if you're not necessarily thinking of writing something in a dual timeline, I think this is really beneficial because it might give you some ideas um, on some possible storylines that you might want to include in your story. But focus on dual timelines is how to weave the past and present to create a great story. Does your story live in more than one time? Whether it's a time slip story or a family drama that uncovers old secrets or a thriller where the answer to saving the world lies in the past, some stories work best if one or more storylines are in the past. We even know books where one of the storylines is, you know, far in the future. So managing two or more timelines can be tricky and understanding how each timeline impacts the other may confuse even the most experienced author. So do you need two climaxes? Which timeline should open or close the story? Do they have to be equal in length? What tense do you write in? 
Sometimes it's not what you think. Anyway, if you haven't participated in our Focus On series before, it's a fantastic, short, sharp, succinct session. It goes for one and a half hours, and the first hour is instructional, um, all about the topic. This time it's on dual timelines, and 30 minutes is on Q&A, where you can ask all of your questions. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash focus on dual timelines. That's writerscentre.com.au slash focus on dual timelines. See you there. And now let's say hello to Nat Newman. How are you, Nat? I'm great, Valerie. How are you? I'm good. What's been happening in that world? You're always doing something interesting and creative and, you know, I want to hear about it. Uh, well, we just wrapped our play this weekend, so that was very, very exciting. Very, very proud to a uh, awesome, yeah, to have done that. So, which what was the play called, and where was it playing again? That was the Appleton Ladies Potato Race, and that was my first performance with the Newcastle Theatre Company, who were so lovely and welcoming and kind, and it's just been an amazing experience. Oh wow! What which character did you play? I played a character called Rania Hamid, so she's actually a Syrian. Um, migrant. So that was really interesting because obviously I'm not Syrian, but um, my sort of background is, you know, my parents migrants. So sort of tapping into that sort of experience was really interesting. Oh, cool. And what else have you been up to? And well, now, of course, I'm rehearsing for my next play. (laughs) What, which is? Uh, The 39 Steps. So that'll be in uh, the Hunter Hunter Valley uh, next year. That is so cool. Yeah. So basically you're a part-time thespian in addition to all the things you do, which is, you know, writing, you've got a couple of novels on the go, you um, are also writing plays, let alone starring in them, and you are one of the fantastic creative writing tutors at the Australian Writers' Centre. Do you sleep? Uh, I do. <laughs> you know, actually I I, um, I have a really strict schedule and which I stick to, but this month I've actually given myself a little break from my schedule and I'm just allowing myself to actually sleep um, rather than I will go to bed at this time and I will wake up at this time and I will do Italian at this hour and I will do, you know, Swedish at this time. So I've kind of just let myself be a bit more relaxed this Meaning month. learning the language of Italian and the language of Swedish. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. So what's an example of your schedule, of the strict version of your schedule? Like not the what you're doing this week because you're having some time off or something. (laughs) Well, the strict version of my schedule is I'll journal for half an hour in the morning. uh, Then I'll do. Hang on, what time do you wake up? uh, About 5.45. Oh, my God. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. So then I I journal from 6 and then I will do something I call noodling (laughs) at 6.30, which is uh, kind of, um, it's like my online journal, I guess. Just sort of, uh, sort of setting up my day, my to do list, all that sort of thing, um, and then I'll do. Oh yes, because half... you use you use Notion, don't That's you? That's right, I do. I'm a big Notion nerd, uh, <laughs> and then I I do half an hour of Italian, uh, half an hour of voice training, half an hour of piano, uh, half oh an hour goodness. of Swedish. Uh, oh my goodness! <laughs> I know it's crazy. And then what else do I do? Uh, and then half an hour on working on lines. If I'm rehearsing for a play, then just spending 20 to 30 minutes a day looking at my lines. When you say um, you do do half an hour of Italian or do half an hour of Swedish, how? Like what do you do? Like is it with a human or with a, or is it an app? What What is it? 
Uh, it's kind of a mix. So for Ita I, I like to use different things for different languages just to um, keep things separate in my brain. So for Italian, I do flashcards and then I'm part of an online school. And so then I get on and I do my grammar courses there. Um, so that's normally two or three days a week. And then two or three days a week, I'll do either reading or I will speak to my online tutor um, for half an hour. So I like to do a mix of, because, you know, you've got, the, I think it's four things. You've got the passive learning for languages, which is your reading and your listening. Um, and then you've got your active learning, which is your speaking and your writing. So I like to get a mix of those throughout the week. And then also grammar and flashcards. Where do you get your online tutor from? Oh, I use a, it's a site. There's a few around, but the one I use is called Preply. Um, and you just get on there and you find tutors from any country you like who can teach you any language you like, which is really cool. Great. Okay. Mm. Um, all right. So uh, wh what time are we up to at the moment for in your day? Oh, I'd have to look at my calendar. But so that's normally, uh, and then I go to the gym for an hour um, <laughs> and then I come back and then I have what I call my morning prep, which is when I have breakfast and check my email and, and do all the boring admin stuff for my day. And then I normally start whatever I'm actually working on at 1030. And how long does that go for? Uh, until uh, lunchtime. And then I'll do another bunch of work after lunchtime. And then and then I'm at the AWC from three o'clock. Wow. And then in the evenings, yeah, get time off. Do you get to watch, you know, Netflix or something? <laughs> no, in the evenings, then I've got acting classes or rehearsal. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know how you do it. I, I literally don't know how you do it. But, okay, well, thank you for sharing your day with us. <laughs> Let's move on to your writing tip this week. Okay. Well, this is this is maybe going to sound funny after all that, but my writing tip is for NaNoWriMo. So hopefully we had lots and lots of listeners do NaNoWriMo in yeah. November. So that's when uh, it's the National Novel Writing Month uh, where you commit to writing, I think is it 1,600 words a day? Yeah, it's so about 1667 or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So that by the end to, of to November. Total, yeah, yeah. 50,000. Exactly. Um, and so... I've done NaNoWriMo in the past. Um, I did it, I think I've done it successfully three times and unsuccessfully a whole bunch of times. Um, but even an unsuccessful NaNoWriMo is a successful NaNoWriMo because you're still going to end yes. up at the end of the month with more words than you started with, um, yes. even if you don't quite hit 50,000. Um, I love actually Nick, um, who is one of our amazing people here in the AWC office. She did an accidental NaNoWriMo where um, <laughs> she... Uh, after a couple of weeks, she realized that she had been writing every day. And then she was like, oh, hang on a minute. It's NaNoWriMo. <laughs> so awesome. She didn't do it intentionally, but she still managed to She got to caught letters. up in the spirit of it somehow. <laughs> the osmosis somehow got to her or something. Um, um, yeah. So, you know, if you've done the amazing hard yards, you've just bashed out 50,000 words or maybe even only 10,000 words, 20,000 words, whatever it is, whatever you succeeded at getting done in November, now it's December. What are you going to do? So I guess my top tip for that is let it breathe a little bit now, particularly if you did get to the end, if you did write the end on your story, um, mm. you're at the end now, put it away for a little bit, uh, let it breathe and come back in January or February and start editing when you've got a little bit of distance from your manuscript. But If you let something yeah. breathe though, Nat, like, yes. you know, your various projects, uh, you, what in the world would you do? If you had spare time. Well, this was what I was about to say is, but that doesn't mean you have time off. <laughs> oh, my God. You would still be writing something else. So definitely now is the time to find that shiny new project or pick up something that you finished or that you didn't finish before NaNoWriMo started. 
just keep definitely keep writing because I think if you just if you stop writing you're going to lose your momentum so you definitely want to keep writing but not on that project that you've just finished but what if you haven't finished what if you got to the 50,000 words of NaNoWriMo but you know your novel is has needs another 30,000 keep writing that's, you know, that's always our advice. Always keep writing until the end. Um, I can't remember exactly who I heard it from, but um, it was something along the lines of if you if you only write beginnings, you'll only get good at writing beginnings. You have to get to the end. If you never get to the end, you'll never get good at writing endings. So, you know, even if it's not great, an ending is still better than no ending at all and you will get better the more endings that you write. So you have to finish the project. Brilliant. Okay. Well, thank you so much for this week's writing tip and can't wait to catch up with you again next week. All right. See ya. Let's move on to this week's competition for you. This week's giveaway is best-selling novel, Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam, who is the author of Rich and Pretty and That Kind of Mother. And Leave the World Behind is soon to be adapted into a film starring Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke, Kevin Bacon, you know, fantastic. It's a story about two families forced together on a long weekend gone terribly wrong. And I have three copies to give away. Here's the blurb. Amanda and Clay head to a remote corner of Long Island expecting a holiday, a quiet reprieve from life in New York City, quality time with their teenage son and daughter and a taste of the good life in the luxurious home they've rented for the week. But with a late night knock on the door, the spell is broken. Ruth and GH, an older couple who claim to own the home, have arrived there in a panic. These strangers say that a sudden power outage has swept the city and with nowhere else to turn, they've come to the country in search of shelter. But with the TV and internet down and no phone service, the facts are unknowable. Should Amanda and Clay trust this couple and vice versa? What has happened back in New York? Is the holiday home, isolated from civilization, a truly safe place for their families? And are they safe from one another? Okay, Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam. If you want your chance to win, just go to writercentre.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 11th of December. And if you are at that URL in the future, that's writercentre.com.au slash win because, you know, maybe you've discovered us later and you're going through the back catalogue. Don't worry, go there anyway because there'll be some other fantastic competition there for you to enter. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? I hope you are because here it is, inure. That's I-N-U-R-E, inure. It's one of those words that you might have heard of but never really thought about. So it has two meanings, right? The first is to come into use or take or have effect. Um, By the way, we usually use it as part of a phrase, you know, to inure to, right, Um, which means to toughen or harden someone through exercise or to accustom to or habituate to, right? So you could say, after seeing the family of spiders regularly on her daily walk past the garage, Amelia became inured to her loathing of arachnids. There you go, inure. And that was the word of the week. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. Let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Gillian Cantor is a USA Today and internationally best-selling author of 12 novels for adults and teens, and they have been translated into 13 languages. Her latest novel is a page-turner. It is The Fiction Writer. She's also author of the best-selling novels Beautiful Little Fools, Half-Life, and In Another Time. Thanks so much for joining us today, Gillian. Thank you for having me. Congratulations on your latest book, The Fiction Writer, which I know is going to be so appealing to our community. Um, I think it's absolutely fascinating, this premise, but I'm not going to do it justice by explaining it myself. So I'm going to ask you, for those who haven't got their hands on a copy yet, and they should, what is it about? Sure. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Um, The Fiction Writer is a novel about um, a midless writer named Olivia and her last book, which was a retelling of Daphne du Maurier's Rebecca, was a complete flop. And she's kind of in a desperate position where she's trying to sell a new novel. Her boyfriend has just broken up with her. And then her agent calls her with this incredible offer that seems like it may be too good to be true, um, where this uh, mega billionaire, who is also named the sexiest man alive by People magazine, wants to hire her to ghostwrite the story of his grandmother's life. And even though it sounds too good to be true, she kind of ignores that and she goes off to Malibu to meet with him. Um, And then, of course, she ends up in this mystery of her own that has some sort of odd connections uh, to Rebecca and to Daphne du Maurier herself. Yes. And it is, um, it's so meta. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because her last book, so um, Olivia's last book, Becky, was about yes. you fill in the, you fill in the rest of the sentence. Yes, it was about it was a retelling of Rebecca from um you know a different point of view, um and she ends up going to Malibu meeting with Ash. His wife passed away a year earlier. There are some suspicious circumstances, you know, around around his death, and she finds herself in a gothic mystery of her own. So you've also done retellings um yeah. Margot is one where you retold it um what might have happened if Anne Frank's sister Margot mm-hmm. survived why why this fascination with retellings and uh, stories that have already been told um but yeah, it's, so- it's a really interesting spin on this <laughs> yeah I mean I am I am always fascinated with retellings and with kind of thinking about the stories we think that we know from a totally different point of view um, and actually my last book 
which was called Beautiful Little Fools, was a retelling of The Great Gatsby from the women's points of view. And so it was sort of looking at, you know, what happened to Jay Gatsby as a murder mystery told through the women in the story. Um, so it ends up being a completely different story because of, because of the women. And so I was actually doing a lot of promotion for that. People were asking me a lot of questions about, you know, retellings and who did I think own the right to any story and what it meant to retell a story. So I was thinking about all of that a lot. And all of that goes into the fiction writer for sure. But also a lot of your previous books have been historical fiction. Mm -hmm. And this is very much set in, well, Malibu in the present day. What made you decide to do that, to make that change? Yeah, you know, I when I first started this book, it was just this tiny little seed of an idea. And um, I think I even called my agent and said, I have this crazy idea, but I, I, it sounds fun to me. So I'm going to write it. And she said, yeah, if it sounds fun, just write it. And so I was sort of writing it for myself. I was we were still in that part of the pandemic where nobody was really leaving their houses. <laughs> we had we kind of started to a little bit, but I was still pretty stuck inside. And I wanted to do something that just felt really fun and different and a little bit sexy and a little bit of a mystery. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of my historical fiction, not all of it, but a lot of it sort of centers around um, like tragedy. I've set a few of my books, you mentioned Margot, but I have uh, a few books set during World War II. Um, I wrote a book about the Rosenbergs. I wrote a book about Marie Curie. There's a lot of, um, I would say there's just, not that they're dark, but they're not light stories. And I really wanted to tell something that felt contemporary, but that felt a little bit lighter. And I think a lot of that was a result of just me personally being stuck in my house during the pandemic and feeling like, you know, when I wasn't living in this interesting, crazy time, I really liked researching these past kind of interesting, crazy times. But when I was living through it on my own, I wanted an escape. So having had developed such a brand as a historical fiction writer, mm-hmm. what did your agent think about that? And <laughs> and what were your feelings about, you know, sort of um, changing track a bit? Yeah, my agent actually loved it. Uh, she was very excited about it. I sent her 50 pages and she just thought it was really good. And she told me to keep going. Um, my previous publisher was not excited about it. So I did actually move publishers for this book. Um, But I just felt really strongly that it was the story that I wanted to tell. And I I do think, you know, my last book was a retelling, even though this isn't historical and it's a contemporary book, it does address the ideas of retellings. Um, You know, there's a bit about Daphne du Maurier in there. Um, So I did feel like it had a tie to my previous audience. So um, in the book, Olivia talks to her agent, whose name is Charlie, Mm -hmm. and one of the things Charlie says, I may not have the exact words, but the sentiment is that no story, I mean, every story has been told before. Um, Is that what you think? No. And I think what Charlie says is there are no new stories. Ah, yes. Uh, and Olivia disagrees with her in the book. And she says, that can't be true. And, and, you know, I agree with Olivia. And I think that's explored in the book as well. You know, there's only so many plots that exist. And, and every story is kind of a retelling of another story when you look at the plot. But I think that what sets any book apart is just the way that it's told and the voice um and you know the writing style and the characters um 
And what really gave me the idea for the fiction writer was an article that I read about Daphne du Maurier. And it was talking about how she was sued for plagiarism when Rebecca first came out. Um, and actually, she went to trial at, and in New York. She was ultimately found innocent. But I was just sort of fascinated by the fact, and there were there were other, that was the only one that went to trial, but there were some other sort of allegations of plagiarism. So there were multiple authors that thought that Daphne du Maurier might have plagiarized them uh, with Rebecca. And, you know, ultimately she was never found guilty of anything. And I just felt like, you know, there's only so many plots, but what made Rebecca a book that I love and made it different was the the way that Daphne du Maurier told it was her her beautiful language. Um, and so that was sort of what inspired me in the fiction writer, too. And, and you know, got that conversation going in the book. So speaking of beautiful language, obviously you love words and you love writing. Can you take yeah. us back to when did you know, yep, I want to be a writer? Um. I think the first time I said that I was about nine <laughs> and um, I, I always loved to read books. You know, I, I read all the time from a very young age. My mom took me to the library all the time. Um, when I was a kid, the library we went to, you were only allowed to check out 10 books at a time. So I would check out my 10, bring them home. And then it would be two days later, I'd be bugging my poor mom to take me back to the library. And she always did <laughs> to her credit. So I was always a reader. Um, when I was in elementary school, I had a teacher, um, I think I was in about fourth grade, and she assigned us to write a short story every week for the whole year. That was our just ongoing assignment. And that was the first time I ever wrote fiction, and I loved it. And so I, that was the moment where I told everyone I wanted to be a writer. You know, I changed my mind, of course, a lot over the years, but I did end up coming back to it again when I was in college. And so when you did leave school, because we all say those sorts of things when we're nine, right? You know, yeah, want to be a fireman, right. want to be whatever, right? But then it comes to, to college. Did you, were you really clear already down that path or did you kind of think, oh, I'll just try a bunch of things and then and then decide you wanted to really take it seriously? In my second to last year of high school, I thought that I wanted to um, go to medical school and I took a human anatomy class. And we had to dissect a cat. And so that ended any of my <laughs> thoughts of ever going to medical school. It was horrible. I hated every moment of it. And I thought, no, this is not what I want to do. Um, and then I, when I went to college, I was majoring in English. But I thought that I was going to go into journalism. And I did an internship with the newspaper after my first year at college. And I didn't really like it. I granted I was the intern. So they had me covering the most boring stories. I was going to all the school board meetings and graduations and it was not very exciting, but I kept writing these articles and thinking this would be so much more fun if I could just create something or make something up, which of course you can't do as a journalist. So when I went back to college, my second year, I took my first fiction writing class. And that was the first time when I really, you know, seriously thought, okay, this is what I actually do want to do. Wow. Okay. So how many books later is it now? How, I, I've, I didn't count, but how many um, have you written? Yeah. The Fiction Writer is my 12th novel. Wow. Okay. So take us back to the very first one. When you wrote that, can you remember um, getting your first break, your first book deal? Yeah. I mean, it was 
Actually, my first novel um, I wrote and I was trying to get an agent for for a very long time, probably two years and just getting rejection after rejection. Um, and then I had a I had a baby. Um, that baby is 18 now. So this was, this was a long time ago, but I had a baby. I kind of put it in a drawer for months and he was probably about one and a half and he started to talk and I thought, you know, one day he's going to ask me what I do and I'm going to have to tell him that I wanted to be a writer and that I gave up and I didn't want to tell him that. So I took the book back out. I revised it again. I sent it out to a handful uh, more agents. And then that is when I did finally get my agent who I, I still have to this day. So that was, gosh, probably like 16 years ago at this point. Um so yeah, and then and then she ended up selling the book. I mean, you know, it took it took another probably six months to a year after that, but it was it was a long process to get that first one. I love that. What a great story. Yeah. What a motivator. <laughs> I didn't want to tell my baby this. Okay. So 12 books later, you've obviously got a well, I'm assuming you tell me that you've got a system kind of down pat. Do yeah. you when you can you take us through briefly the 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 process from the seed of the idea how long does it brew what do you do then presumably quite a bunch of research especially with historical stuff yeah um and then and then the the the, the sprint or marathon or whatever it is however long it takes to generally mm-hmm. write a draft that you're happy with yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know that I do have it down. I feel like every time I start a new book, I think, I don't know how to do this. What am I thinking? So, <laughs> so I mean, I, I do a little bit, but I do always have those doubts creeping in for every new book. Um, you know, people always ask if you're a plotter or a pantser. And I always say that I'm a pantser, you know, meaning that I sort of fly by the seat of my pants. I usually sort of know where a book is going to end up, but I figure it out on the way. Um, but when I wrote my last book, Beautiful Little Fools, I was a plotter. I plotted out everything is because I was retelling The Great Gatsby and I wanted to make sure, you know, I included specific scenes and specific conversations. So I had that book charted chapter by chapter and I stuck to it. And I thought, well, this is a really easy way to write. I should do this from now on. Um, so I started The Fiction Writer and I thought I should really plot this. And then I did not plot a thing <laughs> because I thought, no, really enjoy being a pantser and so the fiction writer I figured it out as I went along and it was really fun because I didn't know what was going to happen in the beginning and so I had a great time like figuring out as I went along of course I had to revise more in the end but um, I think that's my natural I think that's my natural way of writing I, I think I fit more naturally to that it's more exciting for me I find if I plot sometimes I get a little bit Board because if I know everything that's going to happen, it's not as exciting as, you know, to go to my desk and, and work that day. Um, so, so to answer that part of the question, I, I do think that I sort of just figure out the plot as I'm going in terms of writing the draft. I do have a system. I try to write five pages every weekday when I'm drafting, um, and I, and sometimes I do, I, sometimes I will do more, but especially when I'm first starting and it's just, you know, very hard. And I feel like I'm kind of like muddling through and I don't know if I can do it. I make myself write five pages. 
They don't have to be good. They're often not good. But, you know, you write five pages and then by the end of the week, you have 25. And by the end of the second week, you have 50. And then you have somewhere to go and you can revise. And that's that's how I've gotten through most of my books. When I get towards the end, sometimes I'll be writing eight pages a day because, you know, I, I really get into it and I know what's happening. But it, it, in that very beginning, it's five pages a day. I will not let myself stop for the day until those are done. And sometimes I'm there at 11 o'clock at night after every everyone goes to bed because I haven't finished my five pages yet. And sometimes I'll write them in an hour and then I think, well, I can go exercise now. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredibly disciplined of you. So I think it's fascinating that you discovered the story as you wrote it. So let's just take the fiction writer as mm-hmm. an example. What did you know at the start that you had to go on? You know, what, Mm. yeah, what did you know? Well, I knew that there was going to be a story within the story. So there is, um, there are some excerpts from a book in the fiction writer called The Wife. Um, I wasn't 100% sure who the author of The Wife was when I first started writing. I figured that out about halfway through and I was very excited about it. I'm not going to give that away because that's a, that would be a spoiler for the book. (laughs) Um, But I did know that for this particular book, I wanted to have a book within a book. I wanted it, you know, for a story about a writer, I wanted to go all in and really make it about writing. So not only is she a writer, but there's also excerpts from a novel in the book. Um, And, you know, I knew that I wanted to kind of work it around this tidbit of, of, or the kernel of truth, I guess I would say that Daphne du Maurier was sued for plagiarism and kind of what questions that brought up. So when you are writing, what is your process with characterization? Because the characters in this, you really can feel them. You can really get to know them or you know someone like, um, you know, like that person, or you, 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 know, you recognize the characteristics and, uh, of that person. So what do you do in terms of characterization? Do you think about them beforehand or do you let them unfold as you discover the rest of the story? Yeah, I think a little bit of both. You know, I do, I do think about them beforehand. I know enough about about them to get started but then I also do kind of learn about them as I go along and of course I end up having to go to go back and revise because of that but I think both um you know I I hear them speaking to me I kind of feel them as real people in my head and so I'm glad to know they come across that way but I do I do figure out sort of their basic information to begin with you know um how old they are and and where they grew up and what their family was like. And so I I know that going in, but I feel like I don't really get to know them until I hear them talking. Mm. When you are um when you finally put your fingers to the keyboard and you decide I'm going to start now. Um taking the fiction writer as an example, how long did it take? How long were you doing your five pages a day before you had a manuscript you were happy with? Um, I think it's usually about six months, but it's probably not continuously six months. You know, I think I, um, I think I started in the spring and I wrote about 50 pages and sent them to my agent. And then, you know, we talked about them. And then I think I had a month or two in there where I was revising my last book or doing maybe copy edits or something. And then I know I came back to it again in the fall. And so it was probably like three or four months then of the five pages every day until I got to the end of the first draft. 
So because this was a departure from the historical fiction and that publisher wasn't so keen on the hist- on on the change, uh-huh. did you have to write the entire manuscript before pitching it in? I did write the entire manuscript. I actually wrote the entire manuscript before I, I showed it to my former U.S. publisher just because I felt it was different and I wanted to you know, kind of show what the finished product was. And I, I should point out that I have the same publisher in Australia. I, I was talking about my US publisher. So with the with the historical fiction though, did you were you able to, to with your previous publisher, were mm-hmm. you able to um sell them on the idea without writing the full manuscript because they were already you know, yeah, for yes, for my last book, I did. I sold, I sold it on proposal for beautiful little fools. So it was, it was probably seventy five pages and uh, like a synopsis. What do you enjoy about writing? Um, I mean, it's. I feel like that's a hard question to answer, but it's. I just, I love being able to create something. And I think, as I said, I've started, I started as a reader and writing for me is the best part of reading. It's when I get so caught up in a story and a world different than my own, but I get to create that world. So now that you've done this contemporary um, setting, what's the plan now? Presumably you're working on your next novel. I am. Yeah. My next novel um, is is finished and it, sh- it should be out in about a year from now. Um, so it's also it's a contemporary novel, but there's two points of view. Uh, there is a, a present day story um, told by one woman and then there's a story in the 1980s told by another character. So I don't know if we call the 1980s historical now, but... <laughs> Apparently we do, and that makes me feel very old. Yeah, me too. (laughs) But yeah, that's more of a contemporary story too. Now, at some point you wrote a YA book, um, Mm -hmm. The Code for Love and Heartbreak. What made you decide to do that? So I've actually written a few YA books. um, And, you know, I, I... feel like I am a teen in a lot of ways, which is impossible since my kids <laughs> are teens. But I like I love that period of time, you know, in high school. And um, the Code for Love and Heartbreak is actually a, a retelling as well. It's a retelling of Jane Austen's Emma set in modern day high school. And it just felt like the perfect place to tell that story for me. Do you have to what do you need to do to switch hats? What do you need to do to kind of get into the YA headspace? You know, I feel like it's all the same. It's it's me trying to become another character and whether that character is 16 and the president of her high school coding club or whether she's, you know, 35 and she's going to Malibu, it's none of it is me. So it's it's sort of all the same. I think about writing a lot as like acting for introverts because, you know, you're becoming this other person, but you don't have to go on stage. <laughs> I love that description. <laughs> and do you, especially with the historical fictions, but also maybe with the fiction writer, yeah. do you do have things like mood boards or, you know, folders, dossiers to get into that world? Um, for historical fiction, I usually do have a lot of notes, but I'm I'm sort of low tech about it. You know, I'll have a lot of people I know use writing software, use Scrivener and 
I still am on Microsoft Word and I just have different documents with, you know, my notes from different books and I have post-its all around my desk. Um, and I do, you know, I haven't actually done this in a while, but for some of my older historical books, I did used to go on Pinterest and I would find pictures from the era and pin them. I, I sort of dropped off of Pinterest a little while ago. I was into that for a while, but I also do like to watch movies from the time um, and I'll, I'll order magazines from the time just to kind of, you know, try to absorb myself a little bit. Yeah. I love the, the story within the story, right. Mm -hmm. And the, there's so many layers in the fiction writer, um, uh, not only of the main story that's happening, but also the um, the Rebecca story, but also Daphne du Maurier's story. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's so many layers. Was it, uh, did you have to do anything to make sure it all fit together? It just fits together so seamlessly. Did you yeah. kind of think about it beforehand and work out all the pieces of the puzzle? Um, you know, once I knew what the story was really about, I did have to go back and make sure that all the pieces of the puzzle fit together. Yes. But for the most part, you know, I was just enjoying myself when I wrote this book and I was sitting down every day and I was having a great time sort of getting into Olivia's world and getting into this mystery and trying to figure it out with her. And so some of them sort of came seamlessly in this book, which does not always happen, but um, it it did for this book. It's extraordinary. It's such a fantastic idea. Um, all right, let's uh, end with what are your top three tips for aspiring writers who would just love to be in a position where you are one day, you know, already on their 12th book. What's your advice to them to, to get there? Yeah, so I would say the, the first thing is something that one of my writing professors said in college, and that is just butt in chair, which is very simple, but just to say, you know, you can always find an excuse not, not to write, not to get those five pages in. And the only way to write is to sit there and do it. So you just have to sit down, put the words on the page. If they're not good, they can always be revised. Um, and then the second thing I would say would be to read widely, especially in the genre that you know you want to write in and just really get a sense of what works and you know, what you like about other books and what you don't like and then I think the third thing is just you know the idea of persistence um as writers we get rejected a lot you know I, I mentioned how many agents rejected my first novel but I didn't mention how many editors have rejected me since or you know books I've written that haven't sold which has happened and so it's just sort of having to, you know, be persistent and believe that you can do it and just keep going, even when, you know, you get a lot of rejection because rejection is a part of uh, being a writer. And maybe have a baby so that you're motivated to tell him one day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at first the baby made me not write because he didn't sleep for a year. But then when he started talking, it did all work out. <laughs> I love it. Um, congratulations on the fiction writer. And thank, thank you so you. much for your time today, Jillian. All right. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Gillian. Now, I'm going to leave you with this fun fact before I end this week's episode. Did you know that the word berserk comes from the Norse word berserker? That's B-E-R-S-E-K. 
K-R, which means a warrior who fights in a frenzy, which in turn comes from two words, Bjorn, bear, which means bear, and circa, which means coat or shirt. So literally the bear skins or bear shirts that Norse warriors would wear. There you go, berserk. All right, thanks so much for joining me this week. I really appreciate you hanging out and having a bit of a chat or allowing me to have a little bit of a chat. Um, Do connect with us on social media, as in the wider listener community. It's free to join our community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Love to see you in there. And also feel free to connect with me directly. I'm at Valerie Koo on Instagram and I'm over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening listening everyone and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercenter.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.